Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to dig into children learning, learning disabilities, assessment, really following your passion and looking into finding ways to better understand solutions for people that are struggling with their learning abilities. Today's guest is someone who's actually worked in both the public and private sector, has a background in assessment in really neuroinformed education. And is somebody who has served in roles like a sort of a psychometrician, also as a tutor, as a teacher, as a cognitive teacher. And we'll talk about what that means because that's a bit of a funky term. <laughs> and is also really a specialist in really looking at admission and, and helping people to understand the right environment to help them to reach their educational and life goals. So very excited to have Sandra Husel with us today on the Brain Mastery Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Sandra, full disclosure, is an old friend. Well, not old. She's young. But like, <laughs> I'm a little um, bit old. <laughs> is a friend of mine who I've known for years, and she's taught me a lot about this work in, in special education. And is somebody that I think if you're listening today and maybe you have a child that might be struggling or a young adult or an older adult who might be struggling with some of their cognitive functions, and trying to better understand how to improve them, you're going to want to listen up to what Sandra has to say, because not only is she well-versed on neuroeducation, but she's also really well-versed on understanding behavior and how to implement the kind of programs that help you maximize your potential. So for people that are listening, typically these could be medical doctors. These could also be physical therapists, occupational therapists. Um, these can be uh, anybody kind of looking to learn more about the brain's capacity for change. What would your main message be, given that you've spent this time in the public sector, you've spent this time in the private sector on the assessment side, and now you've also spent this time in this new kind of area, which is this neuroeducation? You know, Mark, my biggest message would be for really anyone who's listening, and it really is anyone who has a brain, honestly, which, you know, hopefully is all of us, is that we should never think we have to settle. That's what really, really gets to my heart and drives me forward to do this work is so many people that I speak with feel that there's limits put on them or they've put their own self-perceived limitations on their own abilities. And in this day and age, it just does not need to be that way. And, you know, I know growing up being in a public school myself, you'd see students, you know, segregated into different groups just based on their perceived abilities. And that sticks with you. As you grow up and you start to think, well, I'm no good at this or, you know, I'm great at this, but if I don't have, you know, X, Y, and Z, then I'm never going to be able to do this. And so we put ourselves on these paths or others put us on these paths as well. And we figure that that's, you know, who we have been shaped to be. And going through my work and later, you know, joining Eaton Aerosmith, where I'm currently the admissions director, and just seeing the capabilities that the brain has for, for change and lifelong change, it really does, you know, break my heart when I see, you know, this still going on that people feel they have to settle. And as we, we now know with the power that the brain does have to change, that you can carve new paths, you know, literally and figuratively when it comes to the brain's potential and therefore your own potential to do things that you thought would never be possible. 
it sounds easy when you say it like that. It certainly but is. Like, when you think about all your background and experience in this work, I'm curious, you know, what drives that change? What is it that, mm-hmm. that it takes? Because when I hear you speak, it makes me think, well, why isn't this everywhere? Why aren't everyone, why isn't every public school in the United States mm-hmm. and in Canada having some element of neuroeducation? It's true. And that's that's honestly what my dream would be, is to have this available and this potential available in every classroom. But, you know, there is kind of a, a downside to neuroplasticity where if we grew up a certain way and we were taught a certain way, then we feel that this is how it is. And we, mm. we sort of put ourselves in, in a path and, and stay there. Going through education myself, I was never taught the brain could change. I was never taught much actually about what a learning difficulty or learning disability was. It just wasn't part of the curriculum. And when we were taught, it was all about the fact that the brain is very fixed and that there's not really a lot you can do to change that. So, you know, being in a helping profession, we had to quickly figure out how a student would learn best, I guess we'd call it, and then also how to create strategies and accommodations to work around those challenges. And that's what people did. And, you know, when you, when you, you know, as they say, when you know more, you, you do more, you, you know, you do things better in a different way, but if that's not being taught to you, then those same paths or messages go out to the world that it's not a lot you can do. So let's just cope. And coping was the message moving through. And, you know, I remember being a a learning assistance teacher, you know, one of my first years and just watching this beautiful child with so much athletic potential Mm -hmm. struggle so much when it came to reading and knowing that all I could really do is say, well, let's do more reading or let's try harder. And this child was just falling through the cracks and, you know, it frustrated me, but I really didn't know you know, how to really deal with that. So I think it really takes an awareness. And that's why, you know, so much of what I do is to speak with families, speak with professionals about the workings of the brain and how you can actually target and grow new neural capacity. And the hope is that the more that this message is there and the more that people and educators and medical doctors, you know, physiotherapists see our students going back into the world transitioning and now having the capabilities to learn in ways that, you know, they couldn't, that it it just allows for a, a more flexible thought pattern. No, for sure. And, you know, there's a lot there and, and really, you know, listen to what Sandra had to say there, because I think one of the things that maybe we find sometimes in this work is when parents do find this sort of work, there's a level of guilt that one Mm -hmm. might feel that, you know, with my daughter, I tended to do everything for her because Mm -hmm. I didn't Mm -hmm. actually, when it came down to it, expect that much of her. Right. Right. And, you know, that's a real vulnerable place to be Mm -hmm. when you actually maybe reach that realization. But what I really love about your work is that it's really saying, Hey, right now it's hard because of these, your cognitive profile. However, with focused effort, just like we do physically, we can improve that mm-hmm. with, with, and we can measure it just like we do with physical work. And I think that's, that's such a exciting level of possibility that maybe, you know, sadly, but also optimistically, a lot of people are not yet aware of. 
And that's interesting you say that, Mark, because in many of my conversations with families, I'll say to them, you know, you'd never say to someone, oh, you don't need physical exercise. You're the one who who doesn't need to move your body. You'd never say that. It's just a given. Whether we do it or not is something different, but it's an understanding that to maintain your physical health, you need that movement. You need the fresh air. You need good sleep, all of these kinds of things. But when it comes to brain health and you know, the fact that we can grow that capacity, that's something that is is just not yet as well known. But, you know, I see it. The thing that makes me so hopeful is in my conversations with, you know, moms and dads, grandparents, etc. they see the potential in their child, sometimes more than hmm. to no fault of their own than educators, because they've got a big class and they've got so many moving parts. But, you know, I just talked to a mom today who sees such potential in her son, but feels like it's just not being real at school, but what would life be like if he could actually access that capacity? So on that, this one's for the parents that might be listening here. What's your advice? You know, let's say, you know, I've got this daughter, she's in, she's in grade nine. She's struggling. She always has, you know, the kind of people around really great teachers have kind of said, let's modify curriculum. Let's make it a little bit more accessible for her, given her learning style. Mm-hmm. You know, she's an auditory learner, let's say, but she still struggles to pay attention. But that just might be because everything is written, which mm-hmm. might be a learning style mismatch, maybe. Mm-hmm. What's your advice to that parent that that's listening? And what maybe what's your encouragement? Because I, I think yeah. there's a really, really good reason for hope for those parents that might be listening right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially students of that age, they just want more than anything to fit in and to be perceived, quote unquote, as being normal, you know, whatever that means. But it, their identity is wrapped up in fitting in. Um, but to take a step back and think if that is the true goal, and probably it is for the parents as well, out of love and also out of fear for their child moving <laughs> forward, right? And out of worry that, you know, how is this child going to be independent without me? in the future, because we yeah. all you know, have yeah. the long game in mind when it comes to yep. our kids. How could that happen more easily if you were to actually take a step back from considering academic remediation and think about how you could grow or she could grow her own capacity? So yes, if she was to join us at Eaton Aerosmith, let's just say she would be spending time working on cognitive remediation or growing the physical capacity of the brain to change. But when you have that going for you, then it makes it so much easier to really pull in academics and to understand social situations and to free up your brain's capacity to focus. You're not putting so much effort and energy into your work. And that allows you to blend in with with the flow, right? As opposed to having to be pulled out of class or, you know, to be compensated for or saying, I'm the kid who needs extra time or I don't get it, right? So it means taking a bit of a different path, but it's a means to a very positive end. Yeah, I love the way you explained that. And it's really, as one parent that, that we both know who relocated to Eden Aerosmith School and, and you know, the program that, that Barbara designed and Howard launched so well with, with your help in, in Vancouver, his goal for his daughter who had really specialized learning needs was to become a taxpayer again. 
And I guess the question that you raised so well is, okay, if we're going to backfill curriculum, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how is that going to enable one to deal with the real day responsibilities and challenges of being an adult of, you know, getting up on time, making breakfast, keeping the house clean, paying the bills on time, Mm -hmm. exercising, driving, all of these complex tasks that need to be done in real time. If Mm -hmm. we're focusing on backfilling, Right. You know, that yeah. could be a pretty big threat to the future of the and independence of that child. Yeah. Where's the priority, really? And I'll often use a very simple analogy with families as well. And you may have heard me use it before, but it's it's these baskets that I keep talking about where, you know, we all have and I use this with students and with parents as well. We've all got a number of baskets in our brain, so to speak, not literally. Some of them are really tightly woven. So anything that is poured into it, any piece of academics or, you know, social interaction, it's going to stick. But if you struggle, let's say with reading and you're being taught reading over and over and over again, but that basket's loosely woven, how much of that is going to actually stick? So we seem to be missing a step. If we were to tighten the weave on that basket, first of all, you'd have a lot more success when you do start to read, right? So yeah. it just is about your priorities and about, you know, really what comes first and what in order to enable so many more pieces to fall into place in the future. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that education, if you're if we're struggling and we're looking to get better, why wouldn't you increase capacity prior to learning? It just right? makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. For that to last on the long term. So in the world of education that that you're in now, if you were to, you know, have a really clear hope for that future and you already you already mm-hmm. touched on it, what would that be? You know, when when we think about just the world of special education in general and even maybe brain-based education. What we're starting to do now, and it makes me so happy, is to be able to connect with educators who are really interested in having the Aerosmith program that we use in order to increase the brain's capacity for learning within a regular classroom. So just like we talked about, there's physical education every day, there's reading instruction, math instruction, you know, social instruction, et cetera, every day. But a big piece is missing if you don't have cognitive capacity growth instruction as well. So to be able to speak with them. And the reason we've been able to do this more lately is, I mean, nobody wants COVID to be around, but certainly there's a little bit of a silver lining there in that it's created more online opportunities for us to all connect regardless of where we live in the world. And so, you know, many, many educators have reached out and said, well, it would be amazing if my whole class mm-hmm. you know, could work for you know, maybe 40 minutes a day even on growing the brain's capacity in that way. And brain health should not be limited just to students who struggle with learning. We can all benefit as we talked about the same way we can with moving our bodies physically. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, you're the group over here who needs the brain health. No, everybody would work on it. And there's been research studies that have shown real effective change that has come about because of this as well. So that's my big hope, Mark, is for... Mm -hmm. This to stop being, you know, some shrouded in mystery kind of an idea, but instead just what you do so that you just negate the fact that, you know, a child gets to be about grade three, four and the gap starts widening or then they get into high school and crash and burn because all of a sudden, if you don't have strong executive functioning, you can't cope or you get into university and you were supported the whole Mm -hmm. way along by your parents. And then what? Right. And I could go on and on. But that's my biggest dream, honestly. No, I love it. And I think I mean, part of the thing that I that I want to say is that it's 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 happening. 
right? That, and these yes. things just, they take time. And, but you know, we're, we're kind of, we do a little bit of this work is, is in kind of the health space and there's more brain-based assessments coming out and there are so many of them. You can't even keep track of them all. Well, what's, what's coming behind that, right. Is what do we do when we've identified the problem? So, you know, it is coming, but Mm -hmm. you know, for people that are listening now, don't wait till it's on every corner, you know, right now, if there is a problem, Mm -hmm. there are solutions. Mm -hmm. We're not saying you have to do that. What, San, what Sandra's team does so well, but you should probably explore it because I know for my family members, you know, I've had family members go through the program, my nephews in university and in large part due to this amazing work. And it's an amazing group of people, but really it's the individual, it's a child. It's the individual who is shaping their own brain yeah. and helping them to, yes, improve that. But also from that comes a real change in self-efficacy. Maybe, would you mind explaining a little bit of that relationship? Because I think it's often lost in some of this work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you can imagine, the more that you struggle, the more you cease to want to take a risk. And so you start to feel Mm -hmm. very protective of yourself. You get a lot of coping mechanisms that push people away. You're just hesitant to try because that hasn't worked for you in the past. So as an intelligent person, why would you continue along those paths? And then that's some of the most beautiful phone conversations that we'll have is when, you know, a student starts to be able to take those risks and have them pay off because now their brain is supporting them in everything that they're doing. And so self-confidence changes are some of the first changes that we noticed. There's this beautiful little email dialogue between a student and his teacher, one of our online teachers the other day. And he said, you know, I've, I've tried in the past and always failed. And for the first time, I'm trying and succeeding. And he said, so thank you to his teacher. And the teacher just turned it right back on him that if, you know, if he hadn't done this, this work and, and really dedicated time to growing this capacity, he wouldn't be where he is. So it's a huge change. And there's certainly been research on this that typical students going through a school year, usually you see their self-confidence, their self-concept start to decrease as they move through the school year, probably because, you know, things get harder and they're not measuring up, so to speak. But, you know, when the students at Eaton Aerosmith were measured, you actually saw the reverse and the more that they were working on their cognitive capacity exercises. And yes, they're supported by a wonderful nurturing team. So that certainly plays a part and they're backed by supportive family members as well. But you start to see real self-confidence changes and just pride in work. And, and they start making, I remember one of our students calling me saying, oh, my dad had always said I should be making these goals and I don't see the point of goals. We just live in the moment, you know, and, and he big eye rolls all the time. And he got halfway through one of our summer cognitive intensive programs and said, I woke up last night. And I get it, like the connections were starting to be made in his brain. And he could understand if I do this now, it's going to affect me in the future. So he just was so pumped to be able to start planning out, you know, the next few years of his life in a way that he never could before. So absolutely. That's a good story. I mean, and I'm sure you have so many, but when you think about the role of trust Mm. in this, like you think about the level of maybe, you know, vulnerability that a family and the child would have to come with, you know, like, is that tricky? Like, like having these families come, let's say same situation, daughter, grade nine has already struggled. It takes a lot of courage just to even make that first call. Yeah. What role does sort of like this, I don't know if it's trust or whatever it might be, or understanding maybe expertise play to try and, and authenticity, I think is maybe the word I'm thinking of play in the whole situation. It's number one, Mark. It honestly is. And it's something that 
whenever we hire someone new to our organization, it's the very first first thing that we really explore because, you know, I kind of feel like the mama bear a little bit and that I'm really protective of our families and our students because they have been through so much. And sometimes, even though I wish it wasn't the way, but we're kind of their last stop because they've tried so many different things that are mostly academically based or compensatory based where they're Mm -hmm. working around the challenges and they're just finding that, you know, nothing's really working in there as a parent watching the love of their life start to crumble in terms of their child and their perceived Mm -hmm. capabilities. And and so we need to be able to to meet them where they're at and to make a real solid connection to tell them we've got you here. And to be able to say to them, we understand that this is not all going to be sunshine and roses because, you know, layers of distrust have been built up, you know, especially within themselves. They don't trust themselves to be able to to learn in a way that helps them fit in with with society. So, yeah, and we have to demonstrate that every single day and we'll we'll do it by being as transparent as ever. I'm not going to say that brain change is easy. It's not. You have to, you know, physically work on, you know, growing a body part, really. You're growing parts of your brain in this way, Mm -hmm. but the rewards that come from that, from that, change really are lifelong but yeah that's that's a hundred percent of what we do is that's so exciting that and yeah. that's something that you know barbara one of your mentors i know and my mm-hmm. mentors and howard another one of our mentors talks about is the remarkable opportunity for this brain change this yeah. cognitive change to also really change long-term behavior and absolutely and that is that what an exciting opportunity that we're really um you know, having the opportunity to be a little bit a part of. So when you think about this now, you're a really nice person and you're happy a lot of the time, which is great. And that's why people love being around you, but like, or one of the reasons, but when you think about something that really frustrates you about this work, is there, is there one thing that you can think of, or maybe two that really just get you fired up and is an area that you really want to address? Well, I don't know if I should say this, but <laughs> you should. But I will. It, it's just a lack of awareness, honestly. And and when I hear, and thankfully the family has come to me, but I wonder how many haven't because of this. When there's a lack of, of uh, open-mindedness mm-hmm. to this kind of work, um, and when families will go, you know, pouring their heart out as to what can we do to help my child? And a professional will say, well, just try harder. That's what you can do. Or let's go get this particular kind of training that for the past 40 years have been, has been what I'd recommend. Then just do that. And and I've had families challenge professionals and say, you know, I respect your opinion, but no, my forward path is here when it comes to cognitive remediation. And so, you know, my dream is to be able for all of us to, you know, this is the nice in me is to work together to support a family moving forward. But that's what is so frustrating, how many missed opportunities there have been for people who could have really benefited from this work. So what do you say then, if, you know, a family did that, and and this whole neuroplastic education is just something that's just outside of my scope of comfort. And then they've come to here because, I mean, Eaton Aerospace has really grown over mm-hmm. the years. And I mean, full disclosure, I worked there for a long time is really what brought me into this work. What would you say to them now? So they said, you know, Sandra, it's not for us. Or maybe they just, mm-hmm. as the kids would say today, ghosted you. <laughs> and and then sadly, maybe the child was still struggling after or, or, or likely still yeah. struggling because of those persisting cognitive deficits. What would you say to them now? Do you know, it really depends. Obviously, it's situational. But for a lot of families, and this is maybe going to sound 
wishy-washy, but I'll say it anyway. There has to be a readiness. With work like this, you can't catch people before they're ready. And I wish that, you know, we could close that gap and and we do through education. But for example, if someone has learned that recently that their child has been diagnosed with a learning disability, let's say, and they have to go through this mourning period in a way, Mm -hmm. sadly, that Mm -hmm. the life that they thought that their child was going to have this kind of smooth path. It's going to be different. It doesn't mean it's not going to be wildly wonderful, but it's going to be different. And so it's hard to be open when you're in that kind of mourning period. But after that, and that's why we stay in touch. We're always in touch, letting them know what we're doing, offering that opportunity to have a chat. Like it doesn't mean you have to join us. Let's just connect and revisit where we're at. And then there always comes a time when the head has come, right? Where we can no longer think about how to work around the challenges or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really worried about my daughter's self-esteem or a depression is set in with my son because the gap is really widened too much. So you just have to meet them on their journey where they are and always stay in touch. And I've had families who I talked to four or five years ago, come back and say, now we're ready. I, I see what you mean when we were talking then, but sometimes you can't rush it. But I'll do I'll do my darndest to really help them to to have an understanding of why sooner is always better than later. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about obviously you have a, a lot of experience in this work, and for people who selfishly for me as well, I get to learn a lot while doing this. This podcast is what are maybe one or two of your key influences that brought you into this work and continue to motivate you? They could be books, um, they could be research articles, they could be individuals. There could be concepts. What are one or two of those you could share with the audience? It's always people for me. I drive a lot of influence from being inspired by people, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I still remember way before we started our school being, you know, in North Vancouver. At the time, I was a teacher with the Vancouver School Board. And this concept was new to me, this principle of neuroplasticity. And so just listening mm-hmm. to someone and who had radically changed her life by growing her own capacity with no backing other than a supportive family, which is huge, but no, no understanding professionally as to why she was doing what she was doing. And yet still she persevered and prevailed. And so, you know, I can't, I know she's one of your great mentors as well, but she continues, you know, at the age of 70 now to be wildly inspirational to me. And I've got a picture of her right here on my desk that I look at all the time. So She's definitely one. And then, you know, I remember when I was, again, I was a learning assistance teacher going to a conference and seeing, you know, this gentleman named Howard Eaton talking about his life story and the beginning of his life story when he spoke about, you know, being diagnosed with severe auditory dyslexia when he was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, that was familiar to me. And oh, yeah, and Mm -hmm. we got some reading support. No, that wasn't going so well. Yeah, I could relate to that. But then when he started talking about the advocacy work that he was going to be doing, that really got me going and thought, Mm -hmm. okay, So many of my lessons with students, you know, as much as I respect the public system, 100% my own kids are in public schools to this day, but I just kept seeing these kids floundering and I wasn't doing anything about it. I was just doing same old. And so to be able to, you know, be inspired by Barbara and by Howard, you know, when we had the opportunity to start our school, I mean, I'm not the risk taker that some of my buddies are, (laughs) but I thought, you know, how can I say no to something like this to be a part of this kind of an organization? And then I'll say, honestly, my third one recently for the past 11 years has been my son, my son, Sam, who has gone through his own learning difficulties Mm -hmm. and 
I mean, to watch what I had witnessed Mm. as a teacher playing out in my own house, I felt so grateful that it was a pretty easy decision for our family to have Sam experience, you know, three years at Eaton Aerosmith Vancouver to really target, you know, those areas that were holding him back. I mean, this was a kid who I had to beg to write three sentences and it took him an hour um, with his attention all over the place. And, you know, now after strengthening those capacities, his teacher says that he's seamlessly transitioned back into Mm. grade six and he can write and write and write with, you know, no fatigue at all. So those are my three my top three, I'd say. <laughs> top three. I like it. That's a that's a great three. That's perfect. I want to thank you again for all of your work and your mentorship for me and so many. You know, you're doing really, really important work out there. And I know it can be hard doing things that are a little bit different, but but I think that's what's so important is to keep going. And you know, the funny thing is when we first started doing some of this work, I remember talking about neuroplasticity and no one knew like, like, you know, watch out for Baldy in the corner. Uh, He's talking about (laughs) brain stuff, but if you look at it now, you know, it's very contemporary as people even talk about changing their thoughts, changing their mind, the name just keeps coming up and, uh, and the lives that have been influenced through the work that you do are, are so many. So just thank you for your vision and your continued effort to help so many people for people that are out there now, you know, I mean, Eden Aerosmith isn't only, in Vancouver, right? Tell us a little bit more about Eaton Aerosmith and the operation. Absolutely. Yes. For, as you said, you know, we, we have certainly a brick and mortar school here in Vancouver in the lower mainland and also in Redmond, Washington. And again, back to COVID that, you know, before COVID we thought we would always be, you know, brick and mortar only, but when you're forced to figure out pretty quickly how to pivot students online, we're so grateful for the quick thinking of the Aerosmith program to enable us now to be able to offer an online program. And and now we are all over the world. We have students, you know, from all over North America, South America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, you name it, all making friends together while strengthening their their brain capacity for learning. So Eaton Aerosmith School Online is up and running and thriving and always very happy to talk to anyone who's interested in either our in-person or online programs. That's awesome. Well, uh, thank you again for your time today, for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge and experience. I'm sure it's inspired many people that are listening here today and really just keep up the great work. Uh, Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. 
Uh, training is very accessible, and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support, and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the BEARS platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the BEARS platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The BEARS platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.